join me today in our trip to outer space? Yeah. Albert Shivers. The Matrix doesn't happen. That's very true. Come along quietly or not. The general concept is that creativity flourishes in a in an atmosphere of freedom. Hello folks and welcome to another episode of the Planet Shivers Podcast. I am and always will be Albert Shivers, and on this episode I am joined by Karen Jo Shapiro a little bit later on. Her and I have a long conversation about her artwork, her life, and how the two have intersected over the years. Uh, In other news, uh, the podcast has some interesting stuff coming up. I'm going to start doing field podcasts. In other words, taking the podcast out into the world and doing some recording that way. The first stop is going to be a couple of racetracks. Uh, This coming weekend, I'm going to Grandview Speedway to record a little bit of their championship weekend. And then the following weekend, I'm going to try to make it down to Maple Grove Speedway, which is the closest drag strip to me at the moment, to record their NHRA event down there. I went in 2019, and oh, it was so much fun. The NHRA fan experience is really second to none, better than any other motorsport, in my opinion. You get to go in the pitch, you get to get close to the cars, you get to interact with a lot of people, a lot of the drivers, a lot of the crew people. There's tons of displays, and uh, last time I was there, they had a huge Mopar display, and you could check out old Plymouth Superbirds and Dodge Daytonas and Chargers. It was really, really a lot of fun. With art stuff, I got a big, big new piece coming up. Big project that I'm excited about. Uh, I'm going to do some dribs and drabs and little sections of it um, photo-wise to show you what I'm up to on Instagram and the website. And as you probably know already, the Instagram is at Albert Chivers and the website is www.albertchivers.com albertchivers.com and a little bit of meaningless stupid news but it could be exciting for me Um, the last white whale for a long time I collected records I'll give you a backstory here and the last several years I've just kind of I've gotten the records that I've wanted and I've lost the hunger to really collect collect I've actually been getting rid of things to make my record collection smaller and more concise because records take up a lot of room and I'm just trying to not take up so much room but the last white whale on my list is Hank Williams the third's ghost to a ghost record which is up on eBay right now and knowing how eBay works I might be able to nab this for not a lot of money normally it's on eBay for over $100, and I'm not spending that on a record. So I've been patient, waiting in the bushes, sort of, for this to come back. This might be the chance. By the time this podcast comes out, the auction on it will probably have been over. But just for the sake of a fun story, 
I'll try to remember to fill you in on what happened and if I ended up getting it. And I might share what I paid for. Right now, the bidding is at $30. Uh, we'll see if it stays there. But I have my limits. So we'll see. I'm a big fan of Hang 3. Probably the only current artist I'd be interested in going to see. I was just having a conversation with my friend Mike about it. And it basically boiled down to Hank 3. Maybe PJ Harvey I'd go see. But I'd definitely like to see Hank 3 before he stops doing shows. I'd like to experience that. But that's enough for me. Let's get to my conversation with artist Karen Jo Shapiro after these messages. What makes people all over America break down and cry like this? Call 1-900-9099-CRY and hear it for yourself. $2 for the first minute, 45 cents each additional minute. If you're under 18, ask your parents before you call. 1-900-9099-CRY. When did we get so soft? You know what this country used to sit on? Logs, girders, poles. Being comfortable? That's not what America's all about couch down sit down or get out of the way karen joe shapiro thank you for coming on the show thanks so much for having me so let's start talk about a little bit of what you're working on now well right now i am working on a painting that's uh either three by six or four by six i'm not sure and it is called the penis roller coaster mm -hmm. It is part of my series about sexual abuse and violence against women and children. And it depicts this picture of a roller coaster with their cars or penises and women are taking this ride against their will. And mm -hmm. so whatever emotion, you know, is depicted in that, which is ranges from despair to people falling off, which is relates to the psychological damage that's often that is incurred when women are and children are raped or violated. Um, so that's what it's about. Okay. And what what mediums are you working in? I generally work in oil. Okay. Oil on canvas or oil on paper. Okay. And how so how how long, how far into this piece are you? Well, this piece I have been working on for quite a long time because it's been a struggle. Sometimes okay. the work goes really quickly and those are the most fun and mm -hmm. also the least amount of struggle. Okay. Uh, I've never quite been satisfied with this, so periodically I revisit and I'm hoping this time I make it to the finish line. Okay. Does, so a lot of your paintings are political and a lot of them are very striking with their imagery does so sometimes does painting things so heavy cause you to have to take a break in between or does that get to you for lack of a better term at all well it's funny you should ask that okay. <laughs> because i'm really going through a period right now where i feel really deeply impacted by my work sometimes it, it all it, do, it depends, but right now I'm just between what's going on in the world and the subject material of my own work. I am 
definitely not having the easiest, most fun time in my studio. Okay. Are there things you do to, to loosen that up? Or is it just something you go through and it, it passes? Well, I was taking Lexapro for quite a while. <laughs> so that was a, um, an attempt to help with, you know, just turn down the volume of the emotion a little bit for me. Mm -hmm. um, I've now gone off of it, I think, which is just amped up the amount of pain that I feel when I'm painting and the mm -hmm. amount of empathy I feel for you know the state of the world and the people that I depict in my paintings also mm -hmm. I am a psychotherapist so um, I deal with s subjects like this all the time so um, yeah so I don't know right mm -hmm. now I'm in a very emotional state mm -hmm. and that's not necessarily bad I think that it's a normal reaction. It is a normal reaction to what's mm -hmm. happening in, in the planet. Mm -hmm. And putting, giving a, a creative outlet. That's always I think been the best thing you can do with it. That's absolutely the best thing. I mean, I think that transforming something that's horrific into art is probably one of the best. Aside from changing those things that are horrific, mm -hmm. I think it's probably one of the best. It's the best medicine, and it's also the best things we can do. Gotcha. How much does your work and your art overlap? Well, clearly the subject of my of the people that I work with, um, their lives and what they grapple with and the injustice that they deal with is often the subject of my work. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm, I made a very made a clear decision when I was going to school to keep both subjects. I went to grad school for art and then also for psychotherapy and I really never wanted to combine the two um, and go into something like art therapy that was I wanted very distinct um, uh, very distinct bodies of interests and work for myself um, partially because when I paint I don't want to paint for anybody other than myself and so I just want to keep it really separate and yeah are there any paintings that you don't show? Only the ones that people will not show. Okay. <laughs> I am willing to show them all. Um, maybe except for the earliest works that I did and I'm not too proud of any longer. Right. But I, could be, I could relate on that. <laughs> but I'm really, no, I want my, I paint so that my work gets out into the world. My, perhaps earlier on I was a little more idealistic about using my work to help change the world. Mm -hmm. I feel a little less optimistically about that, but it is still to move the needle of, in some way, in a direction that I think the world should go. So I definitely would like my work to get out into the world. And, yeah. you know, through, I actually, well, I was uh, part of a couple of um, poster, um, what am I want to say, poster, um, well, there was an art show that was uh, that utilized posters and put up political posters, um, both in D.C., in New York, and I forget the other city. But um, it was I would love to get more of my work out in that way, and not necessarily gallery 
exhibitions, although right. I can't say that a lot of galleries are pounding down my door to show mm -hmm. what I'm doing, but, you know, mass produce and get it out there on the streets because I think that people need to see their experience reflected and I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. And a gallery is only a certain amount of people. Right, right. But so, to have it out. And a certain amount of people, very often a particular um, part of the population that can, mm -hmm. you know, only uh, that either can afford to see exhibitions or, you know, plus there's a whole game one needs to play to get shown and you need to be able to make a lot of money to be showing because the, um, the gallery space needs to make money. Yeah. So it becomes a commercial product and I mean, I don't really have that problem, so I don't have to make those hard decisions. Uh -huh. But, um, yeah. And then during, before the midterm this year, um, I was, I made posters out of my works um, okay. when really in direct response to Roe versus Wade being overturned, I made, I used a lot of my paintings and created some new works and um, went and plastered all over New York City and actually here also in mm -hmm. Strasbourg and got some varied responses um, up here in the city. I got some good responses mm -hmm. up here. My response was mixed and unfortunately shortly thereafter my, my Instagram was taken down. So I I'm starting again kind of from scratch with that, okay. but that I think somebody was not happy with what I was doing up here and, and reported me. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I just feel like it's very important, especially in terms of Roe versus Wade and what's happening with abortion rights and um, just the prevalence of rape and violence against women and children, you know, women and girls that lead to pregnancy and then how dare, you know, the courts decide that these young people, you know, or old people mm -hmm. that have been raped or violated in some way cannot access abortions. I think something is very wrong with that whole, with how that's designed. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like visual art moves the needle? I mean, I don't think it did as much as it used to in the past, but do you feel like it moves the needle these days? I don't know that anything moves the needle that much these days. I think when we are up against, you know, massive, massive um, misinformation and disinformation and lies, I think that, and people are bombarded with that, I think it would be very hard to actually move the needle in another direction. So no, I don't think that, you know, visual arts has that great an impact, although I think everything has some impact, and I do believe, I just came to mind, I saw this um, like stick figure, I guess it was a stick figure meme or a little booklet about rape, and it had all these, these things, these pictures of don't do this if, you know, your girlfriend's passed out, don't do uh -huh. this if you, you know. And it was put into the different terms. It was very like tea, don't give her tea, like hot tea, if she's this, if she's that. Anyway, I think that these little things can help. And I think everybody has to just, well, I would like everybody to help because I think if there's gonna be moving the needle, then I think it's gonna require a lot. 
So maybe Ark could at least plant a seed. Do you, do you think that? At I, least, or maybe at least get somebody thinking in a different direction? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, I think it, especially, I mean, the kind of art I do is very confrontational. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think part of it is planting a seed. The other part is empowering people that are victimized by the rulings of, or, or by the I don't know, abuse that's happening in our society. I just know also, like one of my, it comes to mind, one of my paintings, which was, it's called Don't Say Gay. Okay. So that came about after DeSantis you know, started with his you know, censorship in the schools and, and threatening teachers and um, forbidding anybody to discuss being gay. Um, and then getting rid of the books in the libraries. Anyway, I think that the more we show outrage at these things that are happening, the more it empowers other people to be, to be outraged. And I think people need to be really outraged right now. Gotcha. So, to shift, this, we'll shift the subject a little bit, how did you get started in art? Did you go to school? Well, I started before I went to school, you know, I think I... All the good ones do. I think I started because it was something I could, I could be good at and could find an expression for being a, basically a relatively unhappy child. So I think it was a really good outlet for me. Um, I think it was also, I needed a way to excel because my sister was good at everything. Okay. So I found, I found, you know, painting or drawing. I was like, okay, I got something. So I think a little bit, I, you know, I went into it for that. But um, it was just always something that, that I enjoyed. Did you, did you start with drawing? Did, or did you go to write to painting? Um, what, what attracted you first in the arts? Probably it was too soon for me to remember to answer okay. that question, but I remember early watercolors and early magic markers, you know. Okay. I mean, I have a kindergarten picture that I magic markered, and, you know, first of all, I can't say it was anything particularly talented. <laughs> I certainly didn't show signs of genius, <laughs> but, but um, yeah, so I think, uh, yeah, I started, I guess, in ways that kids often start. Right. Okay. And then when when did you feel like like social justice and politics, when did that enter your work? Did it enter your work early? Or was it something that evolved with the times? Well, I think that I always painted based on what I was feeling. And right. so my work has changed through time as I have changed through time and with age. Uh, so I think that first... I mean, I experienced a lot of depression and, you know, just angst. So I would paint about that, and then I would paint about, you know, I came out um, Mm -hmm. in high school, so I began to paint about LGBTQ um, Mm -hmm. things, and I was then painting about um, unconventional attractiveness. Mm partially as a as an offshoot of my own being attracted to unconventionally attractive women mm-hmm. at the time say butch women that were not what society would deem pretty or attractive so i painted a lot about 
that. And then, um, in fact, my when I went to grad school, my graduate exhibition was a series of all my exes, and each one had a little blurb or a little caption. Um, and so very much about my life in answer to your question. Right. So then later on, as that became, or as I became not quite as, I don't know, extremely sexual and going through, you know, um, I guess whatever, twenty my 20s and 30s where I lived and breathed sex okay. and things calmed down a little and I think I shifted in, in terms of really turning to you know, to more social justice movements, although it's always been indirectly or directly social justice related. Right, sounds like it. What, and we could go into whatever you want and not go into whatever you want. Um, I've already what, gone into a lot right. more than I thought I was going to okay. say. <laughs> um, what, what was your experience like coming out when you did? Because well, I'm sure it's not like today. No, I mean, it was... It's hard today, but... It was definitely odd and weird, um, mostly because I came, I had fallen in love with a woman when I was 17, and um, she was 29, and lived in Florida, and I had to leave to go back to high school okay. in New York, so I had to leave her, and I was devastated, and it was like my first real love, and... Um, when I came back to school, luckily I went to an alternative high school mm -hmm. because I would never have gotten away with this in a regular high school. But Which high school did you go to? Uh, it was called the Village School. It okay. was on Long Island. Oh, okay. I have family there too. Do you? Yeah. yeah. So luckily for the Village School, I would have been mm -hmm. a high school dropout altogether. Um, but I came back, I missed the first month of school. I came back in October and was writing love poems. All I could write was terrible love poems, you know, like corny, terrible love poems. Uh -huh. And I did, you know, started painting pictures of this woman. And in the poetry magazine, I had submitted my piece. And then my advisor, even though it was an alternative school and supposed to be very cool and liberal, right. pulled me aside and said, listen, we can't publish a piece unless the only way the school could publish a piece is if we don't take money from the Board of Education. And that means it's going to be basically a copy that's, that's stapled together rather than bound and done professionally. Mm -hmm. So he said, what we'll do, if you're okay with this, is that the school could vote on it. So vote to whether censor my piece out of the magazine or to include my piece in the magazine. So the school voted, and to the credit of my peers voted my piece in and we ended up with this rather flimsy not anything fancy magazine okay. but that's how I came out to okay. the community pretty much so you, the poem was was you coming out was that the only thing that kept it kept the powers that be let's say from being iffy about whether they wanted it in the magazine or not yes because it was about a woman Okay. by a woman or by yeah a young woman right. and they it was not okay to be outwardly gay so they would either I guess they assumed or knew that the board would not grant them the budget for this publication okay. if my piece was in it hmm. I know it sounds like unbelievably background but back, no, uh, back backwards but here we go again 
And here we go again, which is why I am so disturbed about what's happening mm -hmm. in our country and the targeting of, of transgender people and, you know, DeSantis's Don't Say Gay and the banning of books. It just is an unbelievable to, you know, situation to be here all these years later and to see this now going on, mm -hmm. you know, at least as bad or actually worse than it was back then. So it's pretty disheartening. Yeah, I could imagine seeing it early on. I mean, I saw the Don't Say Gay when it, fighting for gay rights in the military or the right to be gay mm -hmm. and still be in the military because the original thing was you get thrown out. The next thing was, well, don't, don't ask, don't tell. So you have to keep it a secret. Right. And, you know, and here we are again. And then we finally got, we got, you know, acceptance in the military, mm -hmm. at least in, in theory. And now here, you know, now it's gone backwards and we're seeing this not even in the military. We're seeing this just in our schools, you know, where you have populations of young LGBTQ kids that now have no mirrors or nobody to even talk about it with. So very often coming from homes that are unaccepting, mm -hmm. which is also part of the reason that the suicide rate is so high for the, you know, the youth and the LGBTQ plus population. So do you feel that homes have also gotten less accepting? Or families? Well, I think that we are still more accepting than what it was, than it was, especially when I was young. Mm -hmm. But I think that once Anytime hate or discrimination is permitted or mainstreamed, then it will start influencing how parents and everyone else accepts their kids. So if it is now acceptable and deemed unacceptable to be gay, then of course a, lot of po a large population, part of the population will go along with that because one, they don't know any better and two, nobody wants to have, you know, a child that doesn't fit in or that is seen as sick or deviant. So, you know, it definitely then harkens back to or takes me back to, you know, my parents, of course, didn't want me to be gay, you know, or didn't want me to like women. That was mm -hmm. certainly not an easy sell, you know, but I suspect that it's, you know, it's already hard for these kids, so it's just going to be harder. Gotcha. Bring it, bring it back into art a little bit. Um, how much, so you mentioned before that you're mainly doing it for yourself. And I could relate to that with my art, and I think that you have to do that. Otherwise, the art probably isn't going to be honest and isn't going to be as good. Right. Um, how much do you, being that your work is so much concerning social justice and politics, how much do you think about the viewer in terms of their looking at your piece as a shared experience or being able to relate to it? Well, everything I'm painting is something that people can relate to if they allow themselves to go there emotionally. Mm -hmm. I think the biggest problem I have with my work is that some people don't think it should be, that art should be upsetting. You know, like people like are, well, I don't want to, you know, and I understand if you don't want to buy it and put it over your couch. I mean, honestly, I don't want it over my couch either, a lot of my yeah. paintings. But I do not understand that, you know, art should not provoke strong emotion. And, 
I mean, there are very few people. Unfortunately, the statistics are now, I think it's one in three or one in four women are raped or, or sexually assaulted. So I guess my feeling is if we cannot look at it, then we will not change it. If we do not have a dialogue that's out there and people are not enraged, then how does it change? And really what I want my art to do or what I want from this world is for change to happen and for people to start really interrogating what's going on. And what comes to mind when I say that is that the stuff that, the way that men talk about women, the way that, you know, I, I think that every man who doesn't believe in rape or violence against women and children should have conversations with their fellow men. Mm-hmm. You know, they make this as an issue about, you know, women and children, but it, the problem is the socialization of men, and I think we really need to grapple with that. So I'm hoping that somehow in the midst of every other emotion that you get from looking at my work, that right. they're, you know, that that's what it's about. Um, yeah. You include a lot of text in your work. Now, you mentioned that you wrote poetry earlier on. Do you still write poetry? Or do I really do don't write, write. I really don't write much. I did attempt a big project. I never made it to the finish, you know, to finish it, at least not yet. And I... Well, yeah. (laughs) Not yet. But no, I really don't, um, I don't write much anymore. Except on my canvases. I tend to write a lot now. Okay. So what inspires you to write on a canvas and not, not write off the canvas? Is it the artwork? Well, what I want to... At first, I think it works with the image, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I think my, my paintings about Trump are, you know, and the text that follows, I think, otherwise they would look like lovely portraits of the man, right. which is not exactly what I'm going for. Um, so I think it's necessary. I also think it adds um, something poignant and something that I don't think, if I thought the art could say it enough, then I wouldn't use the words. So I feel like in conjunction, it's stronger. I mean, I wouldn't just use the words either because I think we see words all the time and I don't think that they register, but I am hoping that, you know, the joining of the two at least gets my message more effectively across. Mm -hmm. Okay. Is it, so on like a, you're doing a painting of Trump, let's say. It's easy to say you're not a fan. And that's, so is it, is it hard? That would be an understatement, but right. go ahead. Um, <laughs> is it tough? Like, this is a question I've always had about it. So I've, I've never done political art. If I do, it's just my little pinky toe that I dip in. Um, is it tough to draw, do portraits of somebody or topics that you don't like? Well, mostly I see it as vehicle. So okay. even when I am doing a picture of a young child suffering, it's not that I like to draw that. So that right. is just a normal thing for me. I often, there are steps, and doing this beautiful painting of Trump mm. is the first step, knowing, and I guess what gets me through is I have the whole vision in my head about what I'm using it for. Right. So could I paint a commission of Trump? Probably not. But could I paint a commission of Trump with a message on it? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then put it up in the street? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a funny conversation with another artist friend of mine about um, who they think or who we might think they're going to get 
to do the presidential portrait. So every president has this presidential portrait. And it's just a funny thought to think, like, what artist is I would take like that to job? do that, because I have this painting called Pussy Grabber, and I would like the job. <laughs> I would donate that one for free. Yeah, I don't know if I, mean, I still haven't been able to find out who. Unfortunately, I don't think there's a shortage of people, otherwise he wouldn't have made it into the White House, and he wouldn't have the... He would be polling where he is now. So I'm sure, even though I do think that many artists tend to be a little bit more awoke or a little bit more aware. Mm -hmm. I think you could certainly find a handful that are going to be happy to do that portrait and make it into the White House. I'm not inconsiderate. I know my cigarette or cigar smoke <laughs> irritates my family, and it smells bad, too. That's why I went out and bought Ronco's Portable Smokeless Ashtray. It filters out irritating smoke, allowing my family to breathe cleaner, fresher smelling air. Velcro fastens secure supportable smokeless ashtray to prevent it from moving. This Christmas, show you really care. Give smokeless ashtrays by Ronco. They make fabulous Christmas gifts. Did you ever think about um, doing murals? Well, I have done mural-like work, but never, not really outside. Okay. So, answer to your question, no. And I don't know that I would know how to do a mural. I think it might be. I mean, I don't work like blowing things up and by, you know, painting the image from a blown up image. So I work freehand. In fact, sometimes I don't even draw first. I just will go into. So I don't know how I would do with that, but it would be an interesting. I would be open to it. Yeah. Not, draw, not penciling first is a very fun way. I always Isn't think it? of it as, you know, you're on a high wire without the net underneath you. Right, except the stakes are not quite that high. <laughs> no, but depending on how much you care about the art, it could be. True, true. Well, I have learned not to get too attached to the art. So, mm -hmm. in fact, when I started out and for a good portion of my life, I was pretty broke. And uh, I had a painting partner. We used to share the cost of the model. Okay. And we both would... We laughed and we like, at the end of our lives, we are going to have one painting each and it's going to be like you know, yards thick because all we do is, you know, paint over what we did last week and paint okay. on it again, you know. So that is the good thing about oil paint, at least, mm -hmm. that you can do that. Um, so you a painting partner. Did you two work on pieces together? No, no, we okay. just shared an expense of, because okay. back, I mean, it was, I love working from life. Mm -hmm. That is my favorite way to work. And we couldn't really afford the cost of a model, so we would share. We'd just set up in my living room, and we would both paint from the person standing there. Okay. So, yeah. So, did you show back then at all? I mean, I've always shown, like, um, I've never really worked at showing, so that is, okay. you know, probably not. Marketing is not my strong suit. So me I, neither. <laughs> I am not great. Usually, the shows that I get are people asking me. I have, in the last couple years, so I have been showing a lot more in the last couple of years, mostly because I've had somebody handling it for me, like applying for shows. Because okay. if I have to apply for a show, it's never going to happen. I am not super techie. I also, you know, I'm between psychotherapy and paint, actual painting. I do not have time and I don't want to spend the time. It, it all depends on where you are because I used to do portraits a lot. I mean, okay. even people portraits. I don't love doing people portraits because everybody wants to look younger or thinner or oh, yeah. you know and I'm just like 
I, that is the opposite of what I want to do, but it did get me to Europe and it did keep me there for a while. So okay. I was, um, it wasn't too bad at the time. Now okay. I, I would, you know, unless it was something really special where I really wanted to paint somebody, which sometimes I do, mm -hmm. um, I would not, I would not do that. Right. So you were doing commissions and it, did it bring you to Europe? Well, I was working as a waitress for like 20 years after okay. I got my master's in fine arts because okay. I could not make a living, of course. And um, I had decided I wanted to go to Europe. So I was working two jobs, a lunch job and a, a dinner job, and then saving my money. And then uh, I sold everything I had in New York. And all my waitress changed, cashed in. Mm -hmm. And it got me there, but I met people there. In fact, I met people from on my way from England to Holland on the boat and got some commission work out of that. In fact, I, this guy paid me $2,000 for a commission portrait, which was phenomenal for me at the time. And um, yeah, and then it just me some friends when I was in Amsterdam and I stayed there for almost a year. It was really quite, it was the first time I didn't have to, as an artist, I didn't have to have a waitress job. Mm. So that was very special and a wonderful time where I could just paint and not make a living in a conventional way. Right. So. How Did it change your work at all? The, the change in lifestyle, that is? What do you mean? Change in lifestyle? So, oh, did the change in lifestyle change yeah, my work? Right, yeah. The best thing was that I could get up in the morning and have one thing to do. I was like, I was elated. You get up. You know, have my coffee and paint. Mm -hmm. I just never had the luxury of doing that. I was always, you know, eking out a living trying to pay rent and mm -hmm. killing myself, you know, trying to really get the rent paid. Yeah. Especially living in New York was right. not so easy. So. No, it didn't get any easier. I know, I know, <laughs> I know. But if I tell you what my first apartments went for, <laughs> you would not believe the price compared to what they're going for now. Right. Anything in the arts. Well, that was the amazing thing when I went to to Amsterdam is that I met all these artists and they were they were taking over um, they were squatting in this okay. school this this abandoned school and which is what I this is what I loved about Amsterdam is that people actually could fight for what they wanted and you know first of all it's, it's a society that supports the arts unlike here um, and they won. They got to stay in that, they had their ateliers in this building and they got to stay there. It was quite, it was a totally, I mean, Amsterdam was amazing and fantastic in so many ways, but in the way that everybody was, had said to me, because I was not too happy with America even back then, right. you think there's some place better, go find it. And I went and I was like, oh shit, this is better. Right. This is so much better. I can't even believe this. Like, it was really, really special time. And was it more accepting? Of being gay? Yes, of everything. They were just, I mean, they had no problems with gay people in the military long before, long before us. Mm -hmm. And not to say, look, it's not utopia or anything, but it was amazing. And plus, they had rent subsidies. Everybody had, had a place to live, and everybody um, basically had enough food. I don't know, I haven't been back there. It was a long time ago, so I can't say what's going on now, but it was... And the people were not homeless and on the streets. I remember visiting halfway through. I came back to New York City. 
mm. and I was in Penn Station and I just started crying. I was like, I cannot believe this guy came up to me. I was sitting at one of these cafes in Penn Station where I was just sitting outside with a cup of coffee. Um, and this guy came and he said, can I have your empty cup when you're done? Because they won't let me sit down if I don't look like I bought something. And I just yes. like, it was heartbreaking. So Holland was a wonderful relief and a really nice, very, uh, yeah, actually, I showed in Holland. I mean, I, it was really quite something. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Were you anywhere else in Europe? Well, I started in England. Okay. Actually, I met my painting partner there. He was going there, and that's... So I went, and we shared... Actually, shared a room in England, and I was there for about six weeks in London. And then I was going to go broke because the dollar was like half of half of the pound back then okay. and I was like I have to get out of here besides I really didn't love London it just reminded me too much of New York and people were just like I got on the tube on their subway and it was just the same faces like everybody's exhausted and depleted and I, not what I was looking for so I went from there I spent six weeks there and then I went from there I took this boat this overnight boat to the hook of Holland and was working in an international work camp there for a place called Arnhem. First I was in this city called Arnhem and we were redoing a youth center. Um, and then on the weekends I went to Amsterdam and I made some connections. I met this woman, came back and picked me up a week later and until I could find a place to stay, I stayed with her and I met all of her creative friends. She was a writer, so I met all her writer friends and it was a uh, very magical time. Oh, and then I'm sorry. Then I went to um, I went to Spain and didn't stay to paint. Just really traveled just to see Spain. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I went to Madrid, Barcelona, Barcelona, and down the south of Spain. And the only time I've been back was when I met my friend from Holland again years later, and we went um, to the south of France. Just drove, and that was pretty wonderful. But yeah. I came back when my niece was born, and that was, that was that was the end of my travels for a while. Okay, gotcha. How much did those travels affect your work? I'm not sure. I just know I was prolific, and I was, again, like really reconnected with my work. Um, I mean, of course, seeing other cultures and seeing other people, and actually seeing a society where people could make a difference within mm -hmm. the content oh, that valued art in general. And culture was just an amazing thing to witness. Yeah. I think, if anything, it really solidified my feelings about capitalism and America, and mm. made me see it, and made me more firm in my in my vision about what I felt was wrong with this country. Mm. You know, I mean, Holland is a social democracy, which is something that I would absolutely support. Mm. Um, so it really. You know, it also made me feel like everybody, you, you people that are anti-socialized medicine and anti, you know, all this like, you know, the American way, I'm like, you're all crazy, you're voting down your own rights or your own, you know, ability to live like a human being, you know, it was really, um, anyway, it was very educational and of course everything I learned of translates somehow or goes into my art in some way. Right, right. So, it, and it sounds like it inspired you to, to, to dig into deeper with the topics of your art and politically, social justicely, and things like that? 
Right. It was a definite indirect, you know, an indirect link, for sure. Was it a bummer coming back? It was very hard to come back. Okay. It was, I mean, I remember crying on the subway, because I was already a hardened New Yorker at the time, right. so I didn't walk around and cry. Right. But sitting on the subway after that, and then this guy asked me for my cup, I just was breaking down all over the place. It was very hard until, of course, you know what, you get immune, you get toughened, and you stop seeing the suffering of people. Mm. And, yeah, but it was very difficult to come back. I actually thought about living there, staying there, um, and if it, you know, a couple of things kept me from doing that. Um, one is that I don't think Holland was like rolling out the carpet for people that were, you know, okay. <laughs> they were like the immigration policy was now like, oh yeah, come on over, you could just stay here. So that was not happening. But also, I have family here, and that made it harder. Right, that's understandable. Can I just add to that okay. answer because it was really interesting that. Um, the other thing is, because Holland and Amsterdam was so great in a lot of ways, I really felt like I would have a hard time, it would be hard for people to ever understand who, where I came from. So at the end of the night, like a bunch of women, we would go to the lesbian bar and jump on our bikes, because okay. everything was bicycles, <laughs> and even if it was freezing out. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so we would bicycle, and they would drive their bikes into the back of the apartment buildings where they had these little sheds for their bikes. And all I know is like my radar was going off a mile and then I was like, no, you don't do this. You don't drive to the back of an apartment building in the middle of the night. Like right. there's a woman alone, are you crazy? You're like, you know, this is a formula, this is a setup, you know, to get raped, to get mugged, to get whatever. And what it made me realize, especially since I started my life in Queens, you know, and I grew up basically fighting and you know, just to not get beaten up. I mean, it wasn't such an easy, wasn't terrible, but it certainly wasn't, you know, right. wasn't super easy. I felt like nobody would really understand or even getting an eviction notice on my door, which happened after I was working, trying to waitress two different jobs and still coming home and finding an eviction notice because I couldn't pay my rent. In New York? In New York. Okay. So I really felt like, how, how am I going to find people that I can relate to on a deep level in that way that would understand where I came from? I don't know that that would have stopped me entirely, but I think that there was something about, and I, I don't want to couch this as privilege, because I don't think it's real privilege to be able to be safe or privilege to not have to lose your apartment because you mm -hmm. can't make enough money. But it really felt like I would have a hard time finding sources of identification from my past or even understanding my fears. Mm -hmm. Again, I want to add to that. Sure. This was a long time ago. I think that I was back, I was in Holland over over tw well over twenty years ago. So I don't know what it's like. I haven't revisited. So just to, I want to add that. Right. So just to clarify what you're saying for me a little bit, in the the people your friends in Holland weren't completely able to relate to where you were coming from in terms of just putting the bike in the back, going down the dark alley. Right. To them. This wasn't a, a big deal. There was no problem with that. No, they did it all the time. This was just a thing. Everybody at the end, the bar closed, I think there. It was 2 o'clock in the morning. But everybody would get on their bikes and ride home and drive into dark places. And it was like, you know, it was totally normal. Mm -hmm. And for me, it would be like, I would never, you know, I'm always vigilant and yeah. always 
you know, aware of my surroundings and, right. you know, as a woman alone, I would never drive my back, <laughs> my back, my bike into a dark anything, you know. Did you hold on to that in your time there or did it ease up at all? I th it definitely eased up um, because I really understood that we were safe. Mm -hmm. It didn't mean that there wasn't a, like a reminder, like, oops, right. what are we doing here? But it definitely, I didn't, I didn't. I mean, I trusted that everybody knew what was safe and what was normal, and mm -hmm. you know, so it was, uh, yeah, it was nice to let that go. No, I'm sure. I mean, it's actually a thing that makes me very angry about being in this country as a uh -huh. woman, particularly, um, is that my freedoms are curtailed because of the dangers imposed by men, and I only made worse now with the, you know, now that everybody has a gun, mm -hmm. and. Um, like even hiking, a simple thing that I would love to do alone and feel unsafe to do so. So it's very infuriating that a lot of the things that I would just, you know, be able to do, I actually can't. So mm -hmm. I appreciated it there and I, again, I'm really angry about that, you know, the victimization of, of women is just so high in this country that, you know, that women can't be free. It's, it, I, I know that men can't be f fully free either, but just, you know, multiply that, you know. And then, of course, I know it's not just women and people of color have it even worse. I'm just like, it just, they don't have, first of all, not everybody has a weapon in Holland, so it's safer in that level. But anyway, right. it's all connected. So it was nice not to feel afraid. Yeah. So through your experience, what do you think that needs to happen beyond involvement in art and us artists all putting our two cents in? Like, through your eyes, what do you think could happen to improve things? Well, I think that's a very, very I don't, how long is this podcast? <laughs> One is we have to... We have to put some checks and balances back for capitalism and okay. put some controls on those corporations that the government is now, you know, there's this revolving cycle of people that are, you know, in working for the corporation and then suddenly in government and then out of government working for the corporation. And once, as long as we have um, elections that are based on money, then there's going to be pandering to every corporation. And so mm -hmm. the world, as we see it, is getting more and more our food is poisoned because it costs money to keep people safe and the corporations mm -hmm. bottom line is making a buck so mm -hmm. we are I mean I could I would need a, you know we would need some time but I would start with you know the way things oh so many I would start with so many things I right. can't even begin but let's just start with which what we can't start with is banning books in schools that talk about you know, the history of black people in our country. Like, if mm -hmm. we, we don't know our history, then, first of all, we're raising a society of idiots, and idiots can't make the world better. Right. So, unless we really are raising a society of educated, empathetic humans, nothing is going to get better. So that, in conjunction with changing the power of the corporation, mm -hmm. I think is a good start. To drift back to art and in the topic of oh, escaping. Good. Yeah. <laughs> good. Um, do you ever use your art to escape? I think there is an escape in the transformation of 
pain to creation. Like I, okay. I have to say, of course, I, sometimes I really love what I make. Right. You know, I think it's really beautiful, or I think it's really good, or touching. And so, in that way, it's an escape. I feel, I mean, it gives me a good feeling. So that way, it's really a good, you know, the process may be painful, but hopefully the outcome leads mm -hmm. me to a place that I feel good about, and I feel some happiness and joy of it. I seen you, you had put up a painting recently um, that was just a little girl. Um, what made you do that one? Okay, it was a picture of this little black girl on her birthday, and she was beaming. She, mm -hmm. like, just, like, all, I think she's only four or five years old, and she's just, like, smiling for me, and she's gorgeous. She's just, like, that beauty that comes from unbridled joy of children, mm -hmm. and I titled it um, Before, and it's the loss of that that breaks my heart. It's what happens to one in three or one in four girls in our country, and I mean, the statistics are not, you know, are similar all over the world, but mm -hmm. I'm just dealing with it right here. Right. Um, and it's the loss of that absolute unshadowed joy that just breaks my heart. So as I'm painting that, even though she's exuberant and happy, mm -hmm. I feel like the foreboding um, and, and the sadness that accompanies that. And so that's a picture. I posted it because people, of course, love when I paint just something that looks unpolitical. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I had to add the title because I don't do anything without consciousness of, you know, a deeper consciousness about it. So while mm -hmm. I'm in the joy of that, of her, of her glee, I'm also in the fear for her and the sadness of all those other gleeful children that have been so harmed. Mm -hmm. Does the the idea or the plan of a deeper consciousness in the painting is that the first thing that you that you start with when you first have an idea, let's say, for a new painting. Is very that what often. You start with some. It depends. I mean, it's it very often yes. Um, like I will think about how I want to convey this feeling, or if something mm -hmm. happens. So, say for example, when Roe Ro versus Wade got overturned, I was like, so a lot. I will be very flooded. You know, I'd be really flooded with all of these ideas and all of this rage. And then I have to then be like, well, how am I going to express this without just hitting the viewer over the head with saying, mm -hmm. what the fuck is right. happening here? <laughs> you know? And so I have to think of ways to convey it um, that I feel like will be, will get my feeling out and will get my point across and be effective. And uh, yeah. Because just with the painting of a little girl, just the title completely changes the way you view it, what you think about it, what you're thinking about outside the canvas. Because every painting has things going on outside the canvas, too. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a good point to how impactful or not impactful just a title can be. That's if people read the title. I have to right. say, a lot of people okay. miss that. A lot of people okay. are like, oh, that's so great, that's so great, you know. And a lot of people had no idea. Like, people right. that know me will look deeper and be like, okay, is she really going to paint this little girl as a ballerina? <laughs> or is there something else happening? Right. I do have this ballerina painting, which is 
you know, really these hidden penises in the background. And, um, but also based on this lovely little girl that's just dancing. And I just am so, but I hear what you're saying. And that's, but the reason I paint, I write on the canvas is because some people don't actually look at the title. So okay. I feel like it's important to, I could have also put before on it. I, I did think about doing that, okay. you know, instead of on the side. But mm -hmm. I decided to go <laughs> give the break, give the audience a break. Well, even then, sometimes just from the artist's point of view, it's a fun experiment to see what people are gonna like. I mean, there are times I'll title things or keep things very vague, just because like, I know what I think. Mm -hmm. I spent however many hours thinking it while I was creating right, it. Right, right. And sometimes it's fun to see. Is somebody else going to miss something or is somebody else going to catch something? Well, I think that's really interesting. Um, when I went to school for art, when I was in grad school, no, actually it wasn't. I was in, I think I was in, yeah, when I was in college and I was taking art, um, my professor at the time was like, you don't, was saying, was very against any kind of political, like, he knew, he was like, be subtle. Everything was about being subtle. You know, okay. you have to be sophisticated and be subtle. Be subtle, be subtle. And honestly, I did try to be subtle for a while. I, I know now that being subtle is not my personality type. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and also, I feel like half the population missed what I was trying to say. I, I mean, even with the words on the canvas half the time, people come up to me and I'm like, what did you think I was saying? Mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> I'm like, okay, so I need to be really clear because I don't want to, I mean, if it's very important to me that people understand what I'm saying. And even if I have to risk being a slightly less sophisticated artist, I'd rather take that chance. You know, that is where I stand now. It's like, never mind that. The only people that understand art are people that have an art background. I really want regular everybody to understand what I'm trying to do here. Yeah, and that's the way it should be. It shouldn't be exclusive to just. Well, it depends who you ask, because according to my professors, it could be. It should be exclusive. It was like a very elite club that we were supposed to belong to, and I just. That's, uh, yeah, it's no fun though. I know. <laughs> I don't even know if it's how worthwhile you know if, or value that is. Well, you know, if you, I just always see it like, for lack of a better term, just it's just a bunch of people stroking each other yes. in a circle, and there's there's very little chance that, possibly, there's a little chance that original idea, or something new, or a different perspective could get in. Right. If you're just hanging out with other artists, and you're not, especially other artists that are of a particular type. Okay. So, I mean, when I look at art history mm -hmm. and the kind of art history I studied, I've, you know, I've often wondered what art history would look like if women were able to be involved early on. I mean, early art, women had to, to sign, you know, a male name mm -hmm. if they wanted to get their art seen by anyone. Um, so, really, I would say American white art history is, um, and the way that I learned it, is basically a male endeavor. Mm -hmm. And I dare say that minimalism would not have been the way that women, if women had been influential in art history, I somehow feel like they wouldn't be making art about stretcher bars or, or mm -hmm. just blank canvas. And okay. I do think minimalism is 
just it would be interesting to see how it would have gone as we have seen like in black culture like you know in black history or african or any other kinds of art like the evolution is very different right. um ours here was you know very white and very white and very male so i don't know where we would be in terms of what it would look like so even more so when i have a professor who's saying we should be you know it needs to be um, subtle on top of it. I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, well, maybe for you, dude, but maybe not for, right. you know, a woman who wants to scream at the top of her lungs. Right. So, the evolution of art in the other cultures, do you, do you, just so I understand better what you're saying, do you feel it evolved the way that it did because more women were involved in it? It depends on which culture. It really okay. depends on the culture. Okay. I think in certain cultures, yes. I think because art often in, in certain was not an offshoot of people that studied in the same places. Like I think European art, like people went to schools or they went to study with the masters under you know, and it was also funded by the church. Right. So we have a lot of virginal art and yeah. it's very different than people that painted you know, about their own experiences or painted, you know, pictures in the field or, you know, or people that look like them. And right. I think, I don't know the answer and exactly what, you know, where art history is, if it was ever, I, I think we've, most countries are, you know, have a patriarchy. So I would mm -hmm. guess that art is patriarchically driven, no, no matter where you are, but very much here. Mm -hmm. Who are some artists that you like, or that you look to, or inspired you? Um, well, people that inspired me in the past, um, like Egon Schiele is, I think, is a brilliant artist. Can't say he would be my top ten on human beings, so he didn't inspire me necessarily um, politically, but I loved his work, and I love his line, and I think he's brilliant. Mm -hmm. um, a painter now who I think is a brilliant painter is Jenny Seville. Okay. Um, I remember going to see her work in the Brooklyn Museum and just like crying. I'm like, oh my God, I will never ever be this good. And mm -hmm. that's the truth, I won't ever be that good. Um, just brilliant, just lovely and brilliant. Um, and then, you know, political artists that have come before me that I think like, have trailblazed, and I think that's really important. Going to the first artist you mentioned, is it tough for you to separate the artist from their work? Sometimes yes. it is, and sometimes it isn't. I guess it depends. Well, sometimes it is, and sometimes it depends on how egregious the person is. So mm -hmm. if the person is truly egregious, then I don't give a shit what they make. Right. I don't care. No art is that important. And... Um, yeah, so, I mean, they were, look, Picasso was totally, um, I mean, he was terrible to women. So, would I disqualify Picasso because of that? Probably not, because most men of the time were not great with women. I mean, women's rights, and you know, women did not have equal rights. Um, but there are people that are really, that I would you know, anti-Semitic past, and people right. that I just, you know, really, their work can't compensate or, or equalize the damage, is in my mind. Okay, gotcha. So, in closing, Karen, 
Where, um, where can people find or see your work? Well, since my Instagram is hardly up, I have a website. Okay. And it's Karen Joe Shapiro, Karen with a C. So it's Karen, C-A-R-E-N, Joe Shapiro dot com. Um, until further notice, that's all I got. Okay. <laughs> and um, you've shown here in Strasbourg at yes. the Creighton Bean Gallery and around the corner. I've shown all over Strasbourg, and it's been interesting, actually, because when I first came up, it was like, no, you can't show that. No, you can't Mm -hmm. show that. And much to the credit of this town, and I do love this town, um, they show my work. I mean, they really, all of my, I've had a political art show on Main Street, which I was a little scared to do, but... um, And they've turned out okay? Turned out okay. You know, I'm still here, so I'm okay. Right. okay. <laughs> that was what I was afraid of. Um, but it was great. And um, we had a gun show. We were part of, you know, it's just like lots of political. My art has not been censored. I, I haven't shown the extreme um, uh, child abuse paintings, okay. mostly because I do think that that, I would want to make sure that children would not be exposed. That's not because I think adults shouldn't be exposed, right. but... I'd want to make sure that there was some kind of screening because mm-hmm. I would never want to harm a child. And I think that seeing things that are not age appropriate could be harmful. Yeah. But, but Strasbourg has come, has gone with me on this journey and come a long way. And I'm really, you know, it's pretty cool. From when I first started, I first came up and I have this painting mm-hmm. about this woman menstruating and somebody's uh-huh. like, no, no, we can't show that. No, absolutely not. And I have this trans, you know, this drag queen painting, and they're like, no, I can't put that up. I have had somebody make me take down a painting or two. Um, here? Here in town, okay. yep. Which, you know, is a whole other story. But she thought it was a painting of Trump, but it actually was not. It was, okay. it was this man, like, dressed in drag, and it was based on something that happens. They have this invasion of the, of the pines, which is a... Uh, a gay celebration on Long Island at Fire Island. Mm-hmm. So it was based on this picture of this guy. And right. for some reason she thought it was Trump and she insisted I take it down. I was like, okay, well, that's weird. But anyway. Um, so did she think you were favoring Trump? No. She oh, didn't. Yeah. It didn't matter. She just okay. didn't want me to put up something political. Oh, okay. Well, that's there was a, a lot of forbiddenness about you cannot be political. And, you know, there's okay. just a lot of stuff about that. So. You know, we have the Create and Be Gallery. Thank goodness for, you know. Yeah. Um, Sylvia and Courtney. I just, I feel like things have shifted. And when I first showed up here, in fact, I was like, we're the artists of color. Like, this is a white, we're having a white show. Mm-hmm. And the subject is white and the picture, you know, and the artists are white. And I think that probably won't happen again. I hate to take credit but I will take a little credit for that because I did bring that awareness and and be like every show we have we can't have an all-white show it is like not a thing so I feel like that's gotten a lot better and I also think all I would go far to say almost single-handedly with through Courtney and Sylvia that I've seen more much younger artists who are still in their teens. Right. And maybe, like I met two, one was a young young girl who had just been painting or drawing in her room and really never had the inspiration to 
show anything. Her work was good. And, you know, I mean, it was hard for me to kind of get over that hump older than in my teens right. to have the balls, so to speak, to walk in and go. Can I, can I? Yes. The pussy. Okay. <laughs> I object to the balls. Or <laughs> um, the guts. Go ahead. But just to, for them to give people I know, it's beautiful. the opening. I to just feel comfortable and say, okay, you know, we're not going to tear you down. Right. Very brave. Very brave, wonderful women. And I think what they've done in the town takes a lot of guts. Yeah. You know, really a lot And it's of been guts. successful, which right. is great. Right. Like, the town didn't know what it needed. And now it has it. Needs a lot more of it, but yes. Right. As does the country, but mm-hmm. yeah. Well, Karen, thanks so much for coming on the show. It was a lot of, we've, we've met in passing quick, and um, it was great to get to know you a little bit tonight. Thank you so much for having me. Really nice. Well, folks, another episode in the books. I want to thank Karen Joe Shapiro for coming on the show, and I want to thank you all for listening to this episode. Like I said in the beginning, a lot of cool stuff coming up, so stay tuned to the podcast. You can find it on all major podcast platforms and YouTube with a little bit of video. Until the next episode, oh, wait a minute, go on Instagram at Albert Shivers and check out the website www.albertshivers.com. Now, until the next episode, take care of yourself and take care of somebody else.